Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 53. Glad you could join us. In today's conversation, the cast discusses some of the common questions about schooling at home. We bring back special guest Bridget Tabaldi, a teacher and advisor here at Colby. We hope to provide some clarification on the points we discuss in this episode, but we encourage you to reach out to Colby's advising staff for personalized service on any of the points we cover. Enjoy. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And I'm Jordan. As a product of homeschooling, I'm proud to teach Greek and Latin for Colby online and serve as the Alumni and Public Relations Director. We're happy to have Bridget Tabaldi back visiting with us on the Colby cast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. We heard from Bridget on episode 41 of the Colby cast along with Lauren Wong about the Colby Academy's social media outreach. We're happy to have you back today, Bridget, going through some questions that people often have when they're getting going homeschooling. So before all that, Bridget, how about you reintroduce yourself, tell us a bit about your family, things like that. Sure. So thanks again for having me. Um, I have been with Colby for a few years now, started off as a chemistry instructor, and I still am doing that. Um, But then last year, I also started to take on a few other roles, including uh, being a part of the tech team, the social media team, um, and just sort of helping out wherever is needed. Um, My husband and I live in Pennsylvania, and we have three children. One just turned five, one just turned three, and one just turned one. And then, yeah, we're just really looking forward to trying to help those who are interested in homeschooling or curious about what homeschooling can look like and why it doesn't necessarily look like what it has in the past and what the future kind of holds for it. Sure. That's a very interesting point you make now that it's summertime. Uh, whatever people thought homeschooling was, now they might have a completely new definition based on whatever experience they've had this year. <laughs> so um, there are all kinds of different ways people homeschool, and hopefully that has been apparent through this year, but maybe not. Maybe the waters are even muddier this year. Anyway, maybe we'll try to sort through some of that today. And I'm very happy to have Jordan visiting with us today to get some of his historical perspective. He's a wealth of knowledge there. So Jordan, good to have you with us. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm excited to be on this episode. And um, I just uh, also want the listeners to know that how much Bridget has been doing behind the scenes in meetings and stuff. She always has the best ideas. So I'm super happy that she's on our team and not on the devil's team. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. She's great. She's great. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. So we've been thinking now that we've reached the summertime, perhaps people have been thinking about what school will look like next year for them and might be on the fence about homeschooling, whether starting or continuing. And might have some questions. We've we put that out on social media. Bridget did that for us, asked on, on the Colby social media, Instagram and Facebook pages for people to submit their questions that, that they might have about getting going homeschooling. So she has some of those for us to work through. And we thought we'd just address some of the stumbling blocks that are commonly known to us as we get going with homeschooling and maybe what some of their antidotes are and here from Jordan with his historical perspective and his experience as a Colby advisor. So I think one of the big ones that can manifest in all kinds of ways is this sense of inadequacy that we have as parents as to whether or not we can even homeschool at all. How can how can we do that? How can we teach our children? I certainly know that myself, it's a, a feeling that I've wrestled with and still feel sometimes. So I'm wondering, Jordan, if you can tell us some of the historical influences on this widespread mindset we have now that school is where children belong and that parents aren't qualified to teach their children. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because people look at homeschooling as being um, maybe kind of radical and that it's like a, a strange thing that's uh, that's creeping up because the thought is traditional homeschool or traditional schooling is sending your kids to a place for six hours a day, seven, eight hours a day, whatever it is, sending them away so the parents can work. But all of that sort of crept up really with the Industrial Revolution. And um, it was partially with the mindset that 
things needed to be controlled. So factories, you knew what you were going to get when you made a mold and you could then, you know, make make something that came out exactly the same each time and you just pumped out a bunch of them. Um, and so it, it was not it's not even that it was that it evolved into this brick and mortar situation. It was a planned it was really a planned sort of takeover of education to to have controlled commodities so that we knew what we were getting. So it really kind of, of course, hindered free thinking, hindered um people's self-sufficiency because they started thinking I, I'm not able to do this I need to hand my children off and really adopt them out for their education adopt them out for these hours each day and um, somehow over generations that becomes what what is thought of as as traditional schooling and it really is a mockery to the word traditional it's not at all what schooling had ever been so it's really a recent phenomenon that um, if anyone just looks into it a little bit, get a book by John Taylor Gatto, any book, John Taylor Gatto, Google him, there's plenty of stuff online, but get any of his books. And um, he, 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 from what I've, a lot of people have written on it, but from what I've seen, he makes it the most palatable for just an everyday person to get the whole history of, of, um, of what this modern industrial schooling that we have. Wow, it's just, so eye-opening. Well, well I, I would say one of the main things to that, too, is that w what is education? So um, it depends what you're wanting out of things. So that, that's a lot of what happened is they, they shifted the idea of what, what an education actually is. And the, one of the saddest things is it took away the idea that parents were qualified to teach their own children and it's not about which degrees that you have i mean it really is at, at the core of it the the ones who know their own children the best know also what they need and do you want that to be you know miss smith from across the town that you've never met until your kid is going and spending more time with her than with you you know it's so it puts into question a lot of those base assumptions um that, that we yeah. we take for granted yeah it sure does bridget does that speak to some of the questions that we received yes so definitely um hits on some of the questions that were submitted via instagram one of the questions was is it possible to homeschool if the parents education is only a high school level so that would be the first one and i guess the biggest thing with that, just a really quick overview with that would be to check your state's laws, but most states high school level is sufficient. And then just kind of piggybacking off of what Jordan was saying is that just because you might not have a master's or a PhD um, doesn't mean that you don't know how to educate your child. Like you've been doing that since they were born. So whenever you responded to them as a little baby, whenever they were hungry, you were educating them that if I cry, I get food or whatever the case may be. Or whenever they're toddlers, whenever you are reading books to them, that's educating them. And again, it's more of that idea of educating that whole person instead of just like you need to learn how to read by age seven. Um, because again, children are going to read whenever they're going to read. And we just have to remember that, again, you are the parent, you are educating them, even if it doesn't look like the traditional education that they might receive in a traditional brick and mortar school. So true, good point. I think that speaks to that whole mind shift that we have just been addressing that Jordan has taken us through so well, that here we've, maybe we've been staying home with our young children until they reach school age, and then they start being educated. Well, that's not the case. I mean, just like you've said, it began at birth and it and continues in all the these little ways. We don't just flip the switch and say, okay, now it is school time. And I think it speaks to that idea of we're always learning. And that one of the main things that we can pass on is the learning how to learn because we don't reach a point in our adult lives where we've learned all we all there is to know or all we need to know. We need we ourselves need to keep learning and growing and being able to model that to them is one of the greatest lessons we can pass on to them that there will be things that we still need to learn as adults and 
just because we have completed whatever level of education doesn't mean we are finished. I think the other thing that, that this question points out is a common misconception that we have that we as homeschoolers are continually speaking for however many hours a day. We might come back to that time length question later. That's not how it goes. I mean, we're not giving continual instruction all the time. And in, in brick and mortar schools, are not giving continual instruction for however many hours a day they're there. And that's not actually how it goes. Two points um, from what you were saying is the first one is humility. And I think that if we can model that idea that Parents don't always know everything. And like we have to be humble enough to show that to our children and to everybody else and to just show them that we are continually learning as well. Going along with that idea of like whenever I picture a homeschooling mother or father, I just think of them like standing in the traditional like schoolroom in their house with a blackboard and like the little kids at the desk and just talking for eight hours a day but again it doesn't have to look like that if it does for you like that's fine that's great if it works but it doesn't have to look like that it might look like going outside and sitting under a tree and reading a book or like picking up acorns and teaching math lessons or things like that that i think are really good for both the student and the parent or whoever is educating them because Again, like we're not made to just sit and be talked to for eight hours a day. Something I would say to that too, what you were saying, going with your your parents and picking up acorns and those kind of things. It's it's like a lot of education, and I think this is really something that needs to be thought through more in the future. But a lot of education has to do with with imitation, and when you are imitating your parents, when you're becoming like your parents there's always this separation. They're always gonna be your parents. They're never gonna be at your level. And one of the, so if somebody asks, can you homeschool with with just a bachelor's degree? I mean, there's a lot of things that could be said. You could say, um, uh, some of the worst teachers I know have PhDs and they're terrible teachers, you know? But that also leads to the the, the notion that I have, which is the reason teachers are chosen from the pool of degree holders and not just the naturally gifted is because at some point a student is able to say, well, who are you? You don't have a degree. They can't say that to their parents because they're their parents. But, you know, you might if you have a 21 year old high school teacher and an 18 year old high school student and neither one have a degree, then there there isn't this there isn't this. Um, this sort of separation between the two. So I think that's why in schools, including our online academy, you have to you have to have a degree to be able to teach. And part of that is so that there can't be this sort of it can almost become rivalrous in that situation. And um, that is never an issue with with teaching your own kids. And so schools have to implement something like that, um, to, you know, to keep to keep those rivalrous situations at bay. There's definitely a place for, for what the degrees represent. These successive levels of, of expertise that's certainly valid. You know, I was thinking as as we've been sorting through this, I'm remembering trips I've taken with my kids to the one room schoolhouse. Have you all been to one room schoolhouses lately? Maybe you have you've done this before. So I didn't do this as a young as a student myself, but um, each of our children has gone at least once to a one room schoolhouse for the day, and it's a whole big production. We study for, uh, what life was like in. 1910, as it happens for the particular schoolhouse we've been to. And and they go in period dress and we pack a hamper full of what they would have eaten that day. And it's a whole immersive experience, you know, and and to see them in action, there's a school marm or a, a schoolmaster like who, who takes over the class for the day and see how they conduct the proceedings that day. That's interesting. They don't just stand and teach the whole class because it's all range of ages, right? So they've got a small group working in one reader and another group working independently they'll put stuff up on the board for copy work or they'll have math problems to work or whatever and not everyone is doing all the same thing so that's real that was really eye-opening to me especially the first time I went and saw how that went for the day even if even though I had read about it Little House on the Prairie and several other books I think that helped me okay so Bridget what else have you got for us from the Instagram responses 
Okay, so so this one is regarding Colby's curriculum. Um, can you pick and choose certain aspects of the curriculum? And then just tell us more about how homeschooling works when enrolled with Colby Academy. And if we can, I'd kind of like to open that up in a broader sense. So basically, like, how does homeschooling work in general? And then sort of um, hone in on those more specific parts of those questions, if that's okay. Yeah, so that's that's a really great question a lot of people have today. I mean, if you've never seen how it works, you might wonder how, how could it possibly, what, what could it be in general? And well, I would talk about the, the picking and choosing. Yes, of course, like homeschooling is as eclectic as you'd like, whether it's here at Colby or, or doing it somewhere else. But even here at Colby, you can pick and choose basically whatever you feel you you want to do so we've really valued this idea of you uh you being the primary educator of your own child and um so yeah you can you can pick and choose things uh we you could work with an advisor who can give you much more specific details related to you if you tell them your concerns or your values what you're looking to get out of it so we have people highly trained and who have worked with hundreds of families in in doing that um and so uh yeah homeschooling in general you can do this and you can do it with colby as well uh, I'm newer to homeschooling my own children. Um, my oldest is in fourth grade and we've only been homeschooling for, for just a year now. So I think I'd like to hear what uh, Bonnie has to say about this. Sure. So we are fully enrolled with Colby, um, which means that we make use of Colby course plans for all of our academic subjects. We, we add some music by way of instruction by Professor Carroll, whom we spoke with on a previous episode of the Colby Cast, one of her music theory courses and some of her other materials. Um, and we add in things like driver's ed, scarily enough this year. Um, there was a like a, an economics course that we did with the local homeschooling group. I think I'm getting ahead of myself though. So it looks like morning times are far less harried getting up and out the door because there's not that necessity to get up and out we typically have breakfast. Um, all of mine are able to procure their own breakfast, which is amazing. It's not lost on me how awesome that is. We open our day with prayer and we listen to a brief recording about the saint of the day to start the, the proceedings. This gets tricky when people are in online classes, but we get it in as we, as we can. Uh, I give everyone their assignments for the day. I worked from the Colby course plans and I, I put them in a certain order so that I don't lose track of anything. So we give everybody their assignments each day. I think at the beginning of the school year, I talked about wanting to tinker with when I gave assignments and I just reverted to giving assignments at the beginning of every day. They write them down in a planner themselves. And so then we sort out who's going to need to work with me on what subjects, because there are some subjects that, that ours are able, able to do pretty much independently, reading, um, certainly vocabulary. I mean, of course, they can ask me for help with these subjects, but they can at least approach them on their own and read through the material and answer questions as best they can, according to the assignment. Uh, my husband teaches math here, so he works with them. We, we uh, kind of work together to figure who's working with me on a subject, who's working with him, and then whoever's not in an online class is doing something independently at that time. And we kind of rotate around. We don't have a set from nine to 10, this child works with mom and this child works with dad. We don't do that. Sometimes that would be very nice and that, <laughs> that could be a good solution for folks. We kind of roll with it every day and so every day looks a little bit different. We don't participate in a co-op. So there's not that factor of, of spending the day away from home doing that. Um, for many families that works quite well. It just hasn't worked out for us that way. And then, let's see, I have tried to set it up so that kids can take a break when they have reached the natural conclusion of an assignment and might need to get up and move around a little bit or get a snack, get a drink of water, you know, even do a quick chore, like bring the trash can in from the curb or make their bed or take care of some personal needs or whatever like that. Even those can be quick breaks to kind of shake things up a bit. Uh, it also has been a good opportunity for us to work on things like study skills or executive function skills, meaning getting from this needs to get done to this is done and the steps in between that. Um, those have been areas that we've been able to focus on a little bit more since we began homeschooling. I think that gets it close to day in the life here. <laughs> That's 
it's hard to describe because as soon as I start talking about a typical day, then I think of all the ways that it's not typical. <laughs> so it sounds like it would be fun to to be being homeschooled in your house. No, I I I, I think the kids may answer differently. I think you know they um they certainly have their frustrations when they have a question and someone else is working with mom or dad. That's a point of frustration for them, and they have to kind of sort through that. And we work with that on a very regular basis. They all can remember being in brick and mortar school for many hours a day. In our case, it has worked out well for us. I think overall, in spite of the frustrations or challenges that we have, they they have come to relish the homeschool life. One thing I liked about Colby in particular is the structure it provides and all the support from the Colby office by way of advisors and record keeping and things like that. I've spoken a little bit more in length in previous episodes about that. So I very much was doubtful of my ability to homeschool. And really feeling that sense of inadequacy and Colby really helped me get past that hurdle by providing all of these things I just explained. But and and also as as the years have gone by, I've grown in confidence, recognizing where I can modify a little bit or um, areas that I don't need to I need more or less support in. So that has come with time. So I know families who use Colby not to the degree that we do in our family. They they use some Colby courses. And some other, they might participate in a co-op for other academic areas, or they might be enrolled in Colby, but substitute several things. And they use Colby for their record-keeping abilities for that. We're going to have a conversation with Dina Muth from the advising office about the various options Colby offers by way of enrollment and modifications and options like that. So be on the lookout for that. Let's see. I noticed we got a question about record-keeping in the elementary years. And that kind of ties into what I was referring to in one of the things that attracted me to Colby was the record keeping that is available to us as enrolled families. It depends on the state, what what kind of records you have to keep in your state. Um, They vary quite widely. And what what kind of documentation is necessary, sometimes it's attendance, sometimes it is particular assignments or things, some some kind of portfolio that needs to be made. I think With that, just to add on one little piece of information is to definitely check out the HSLDA, uh, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, um, because they, especially if you are a member, they are going to be a wealth of knowledge, especially for those states that do have very strict requirements, uh, because they do have um, the affidavits and forms that are basically ready for you to just send in, which is super helpful. And then also, if you do enroll with Colby, you do get a special discount um, if you become an HSLDA member. That's a good idea. Here's another interesting question. Are there ever exceptions for delayed packets, like illness? So if, if something unforeseen should happen that would delay significantly finishing a school year, that does happen. And the Colby office works quite willingly with families in circumstances like that. Yes, they definitely do. Being a part of the advising team as well, I have seen some requests from years back um, or submitting portfolios from a long time ago. Now, I'm not saying that you should do that because it makes it makes things a lot more difficult for record keeping and also for the staff whenever they're preparing grade reports. However, keeping in mind that idea that the parent is the primary educator and we are here as a service for you. Um, Typically, we can make things happen. Uh, But again, definitely talk to your advisor or talk to somebody in the admissions team so that everybody's on the same page. And I didn't, I didn't realize you're on the advising team. Also, you're, you're kind of like, you're kind of like the last, um, you're the throwback. You're like, we were 10 years ago when, uh, when everybody was doing everything. Now, Colby's a lot more compartmentalized, but um, you're on a lot of different teams, sounds like. (laughs) Coming full circle. (laughs) Definitely. Um, One question that I just got that I think is really important to address, and this is just, this is not Colby specific, but this is just a broader homeschooler uh, question, is how do you deal with those example family members who have beliefs that homeschoolers are antisocial? Yeah, that's the perennial question. It's like the S word, right? Socialization is the S word. (laughs) 
And I think honestly, that one is almost like the proof is in the pudding by the way that we conduct ourselves as homeschoolers. As more and more people homeschool, and that becomes widely known, that people are recognizing that however one is schooled, brought up, the school setting is not the determining factor of one's social skills or lack thereof. Yeah, definitely. It's been that that is uh, that sort of stigma or fear uh, has been disproven. Like it's really been disproven. Um, but it, nevertheless, it exists, especially if you're in a in a place where you you're one of the only people looking at homeschooling and everybody's kind of a naysayer that's around you. That's, of course, going to come up. It's not like you said, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, you meet you meet so many different people. And, then, and pr- probably uh, one of the things is, too, what what is soci- socialization anyway? So it's also something that needs to be asked. I mean, it's, is it that you want to uh, to be sort of mass minded and, and not have free thinking individuals? I'll tell you and you I'm sure you have things like this as well, Bonnie. Um, but my kids just started playing sports and I, I guess, am harder on them than I should be sometimes because I've gotten lots of of comments from their coaches and from other parents and things about the way that they behave, that they're so friendly, that they'll talk, that they're outgoing, they listen to the coach, um, you know, and I, I, I don't, I don't really, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, you know, I wasn't expecting that at all, and um, that that happens quite often. That's great. That doesn't surprise me knowing you actually. I think that that and to say that your kids would be a delight to be around, I would that does not surprise me at all. In general, the the homeschoolers that I'm around, um, they relate these experiences quite frequently. That the folks they come in contact with outside of by way of you know coaches or um, other settings like that, people are very pleasantly surprised at the interactions they have with children who are homeschooled and families that are homeschooling. And I think that continues to grow and dismantle sort of this the stigma that that people face. It, it seems like that's the first response oftentimes. And that can be so um, just take the wind right out of your sails, right? To hear that in response to, well, I'm thinking about doing this. Oh, well, what about socialization? And, you know, a lot of it comes from a very good place. People will say that perhaps from their own experiences dealing, you know, there might, they might have been teachers themselves who have seen um when it hasn't gone well, when homeschooling hasn't gone well, or when when a family has used the term homeschooling as sort of paper over a situation that's very tragic, actually, that is not actually, you know, they're not um, actively homeschooling and that that's a very tragic and uh, difficult situation. So they might have be coming from those experiences and not have had the kinds of experiences yet with more positive interactions with homeschoolers. They're, so they're, they're kind of coming at it from having had having had to pick up pieces, unfortunately, it's very, very sad situation. So trying to see where they might be coming from can kind of help us not take it quite so personally, take the sting out of the question. It's almost a knee-jerk response. It's like the, the, uh, that's the thing you do, right? That's going back to use that expression. Like, that's what you say. Like, what about socialization? Well, in any amount of time, it will, it'll answer itself. I think too, um, being a, teacher at both previously a brick and mortar school and at Colby. Jordan, I don't know if you can speak to this as well, but I've seen a definite difference in some, in a lot of students, um, just in like how they, not even just talk to each other, but how they, t- like if they're giving a presentation or something, there's just something that I can't put my finger on it, but there's something that's different about them that um, it's almost like a, a confidence or something. Um, just and even if they have no idea what they're like actually doing they at least are trying to do it um and i think that that goes back to that like love of learning so even if like again i teach chemistry and i i know chemistry is not for everybody it's difficult it's not an easy subject but again you can definitely see um a difference in in this certain students where it's like one type of student um, and this is not trying to put a blanket over everybody. This is just certain observations that I've seen. In a brick and mortar school, if a student feels frustrated or like they're not understanding things, instead of like reaching out 
to the teacher or to another student, they might just sort of shut down and be like, well, I can't do this. And that's that. Versus with uh, Colby students, I've seen if they have a question, they're not really, again, this is kind of generalizing here. They're not necessarily as afraid to speak up because they don't have that peer pressure amongst themselves as well. So it's like they're, they're more free to just be themselves. Um, and again, even if it is a difficult subject that they don't really want to learn about, they still have that love of learning that's been instilled in them. So they're still going to be curious about it and be like, well, I actually do want to know the answer. So can somebody show me what the answer is? And so they do, they are socializing, but again, it's that idea of like, what is socializing? Um, is it the sense of where you put 30, um, like sixth and seventh graders in a classroom together, or is it um, a student talking to somebody who's 80 years old and then going to a grocery store and talking to somebody who's 20 years old and then going somewhere else and seeing a bunch of little kids playing and being able to relate to all of those different age groups um, while still maintaining like their sense of self and seeing like the worth in everybody, not just that age cohort. That, that's so true that that's I think one of the worst things that happened uh, with the rise of industrial schooling is then all of a sudden you have a whole segment of the population uh, put away while meaningful things are going on while meaningful work is being done they're, they're not there to interact and my my kids talk to to elderly people quite often walking down the street or whatever and and I love that I think it's so good for both sides you know for both sides of 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 uh, the situation but what you, what you talk about Bridget with this idea that there's there's some kind of confidence or something there you're, you're right about that part of that could be in my guess uh in my assumption is that uh some some students have had this have had a lot of successes in learning with learning that's been tailored for them all the all along the way and so but and and so i i think they have this this idea that in even in colby online classes or whatever classes but you and i as teachers when we're teaching these online classes we see this i think part of it is is i i hope that they they feel like that the that we are there for them we're on their side whereas uh, and we're we're like an extension of their parents choice to to educate at home rather than if you're in a brick and mortar school um at least for, for my experience in teaching in, in them um was was that it felt like everyone was out to get them they were just trying to get by it's hard to get excited even if you enjoy a subject because you may not like that teacher or you may you may feel like like you're just a number in there whereas um you know, a, a lot of confidence coming into the high school age from from being homeschooled before. But I've noticed even this year where we had quite a few transfer students from public schools and I, I witnessed sort of a conversion. I'm thinking of one student um, in particular who was very much he, when he got it, he, he, he was like, I'm just here for for the year or whenever it opens up, I'm going back to my school. And he would make comments like what the kids would be talking about, how many siblings they have. And he'd say, does everyone in this school have 10 siblings? And um, he's he converted at some point and became a really good student. He wasn't that good of a, he didn't know how to do it. And even he, I feel like once he caught on, got this idea that I can try, like I, I can, these these are people I want to be like, not people that seem just strange to me. Even even the students, he made friends in the class, and he had that same confidence in in one year. And he's a he's a perfect case study for me because he wouldn't normally be at Colby. He was only there because of the pandemic. So even he wasn't even somebody who's like our kid will go to high school online, but um you know and they said sort of prepared for it for him it was like this we'll try this crazy thing for a little bit and then you're going back to your school and he's coming back next year um as a sophomore and he was excited about it so somehow that that got ingrained in him and that's one of my favorite stories from this year that has happened with this kid i love that 
I think one thing that you really nailed there was the idea that we need to teach children that they don't have to be the best at everything, but they at least have to try. Like, they at least have to put in the effort. Um, And if they can put in that effort, then, like, they've already done half the work, and that's all that we can ask them. Because not everybody is going to be able to do, like, advanced calculus. Not everybody is going to be able to earn their PhD, and, like, that's fine. That's not how God made us. Like, we are not all supposed to be on this, like, predestined path where we go to high school, we graduate, we get our bachelor's, and now we have to get our master's, and now we have to get our PhD. Um, like, we all have this set role in our life, and and our God's given us, like, these wonderful gifts and skills, and they're so different from everybody. Um, but I think we definitely have to change, like, what it means to be successful in education. And I'm hoping that this new wave of homeschooling can really do that and get back to the idea that, like, every child is worthy, not because they're super smart or they have this IQ or they can read a book by the time that they're six years old or that they know all their letters by the time they're three or whatever whatever the, the – uh, idea is in order to be like a successful or smart person it's just the idea that we all have these gifts within homeschooling you can explore those gifts to see like where it is god's calling you and then from there using those gifts to try to make a difference in the world whatever that may be that it's it goes back to the individual and um the value of the individual and if you want to really honor god's creation then be yourself as much as you can and in, and instill that in others because he only made one of each of us and so um you should you should work to instigate the the development of that in others as well i love that story you told jordan that's great that's really wonderful to hear i i have lots of thoughts about what you all have been describing and so heartened to hear these success stories and i think one of the great things about homeschooling is this opportunity, this space we have that our children have to be who they are. So we, when you're speaking about students feeling comfortable to speak up and for themselves when they are having trouble grasping a concept, do you see also on the other side uh, students who may take very quickly, may pick up a subject very quickly or a concept and have the confidence to be able to own that as opposed to uh, feeling that sort of pressure like, they're kind of sticking out. Do you guys see that in your in your students that when they're excelling in the topic, they also have that confidence to to go further with it? I mean, I definitely do. Again, this isn't for every single student, but in general, typically like in one of my classes, if a student is doing well and understands all the concepts and is just getting it, they actually seem more willing to help other students. It seems to come from like a genuine place of wanting to show people how to do it, not just like, oh, I raised my hand first because I know what I'm doing and here's how I did it and you guys aren't as smart as me. It never comes off like that to me. It's always like, I want to show you how to do this because like I understand how to do it and I want to teach you how to do it so that we can all like move on and get better with it. Um, at least that's how I've that's how it comes off to me. I don't know about what are your thoughts, Jordan? Yeah, the exact same thing. And and I'm amazed by it because um, I I cannot think of any. I mean, Latin is hard. It it can level all the bullies. So is chemistry. You know, you can't. It's hard to be the yeah. the chemistry bully, just like it's hard to. But you know, it's <laughs> like in sports or something. It's if you're the best, it's easy to be very uh, very cocky and talk down to others. But I've, I've never seen that in any of my classes. It's it's just like you're saying, Bridget. I have a lot of students that genuinely want to help the others. The top of the class tries to help the others. Um, that's, that's probably one of the main themes in all my recommendation letters when I when a student is one of my best students that, I, that I've had um, when I'm recommending them to colleges or whatever. That's usually one of the things I point out, this genuine desire and, and, and it seems like pleasure in helping 
helping others in the class. Um, I think it's, I, I, yeah, I see the exact same thing. That's wonderful. It speaks to the character that's cultivated and the virtues that are being cultivated along with the knowledge that's being imparted and acquired. I think about that a lot. Both those are not extremes, but kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, this setting allows a little bit more space to, so that they don't fall into that sort of learned helplessness that, that they do have that agency to get the help that they need or be of help to other people. And sometimes it's both, you know, in some instances, their their strengths are others' weaknesses and they can kind of help each other that way. That's great. Good deal. Well, I'm wondering if we can wade into this area of fear of judgment by others. Like you've already touched upon it by the question about socialization. That certainly can smack of judgment when, when we get that question coming at us. I can certainly speak to that. So in your experience as advisors, have you had to console folks or kind of bear them up when they are uh, fearing judgment by others for their decision to homeschool? Yeah, it, it's happened a few times. So I was an advisor my first year in the offices in Napa, and I would take phone calls. And it was it was coming up quite a bit. Uh, I, I, you know, there were a handful of conversations I remember that that lasted a long time with me trying to help and it was always a mom, not a dad, calling in to find out if, um, you know, at some of the time the judgment was from from the husband. She wanted to do it, and the husband didn't want to. And um, so I, I don't know. This was years ago. I don't know exactly what I would say, but I would, I would use my own sort of testimony of having been homeschooled. But there was a, a person, we, we hired her, she works at Colby now, and um, I, I won't give too many details because I want to share something that she said that I thought was great. When we were, um, I w we were interviewing and I, I brought that question up to her, what would you tell a parent if um, one, of the, one of the other parents didn't want to homeschool and they called in or whatever? And um, she, re she talked about a priest because she said the same situation happened in her family or whatever. And um, the priest had said, give it a try. You have nothing to lose. You can always send the kids back. So why not just try it? So it's, we look a lot of times at these educational decisions for our young ones as, as like life and death a lot. And in some cases, perhaps it is life and death, maybe over the long run it is, but why not try it? And so, um whenever that's happened that's that's what i've tried to say you, so what they judge you and you're wrong send them back and say i was wrong that's the worst that's the worst thing that can happen yeah good stuff and i think it's easy to fall into that sort of black and white thinking like we're making this decision and it's forever and it doesn't have to be it can be a year by year you know we can take it as it comes as my dad likes to say just take it as it comes Something that was really helpful to me when we when we made our transition to homeschooling, it was a gift. I, I heard this phrase that my decision is not a reflection on anyone else's decision. It's just my decision, that my my discernment, and and it doesn't. It's not me judging anyone else's choice to send their kids to whatever school setting to ed, to school them however they see fit. It's I we have decided this for ourselves, and to be able to go ahead and let that sink in and and mean that. And that takes some that growth on our part to be able to <laughs> just own that, right? So, and that's been part of the experience for me. It, it reminds me of when I was becoming a Catholic, when I was on the way, and I, I read the John Henry Newman um, after he converted, somebody had written to him. I might have said this on a past episode, but it's one of my favorite quotes. Um, somebody had written to him and said, must one become a Catholic to be saved? And it was somebody inquiring about, you know, and, and his response was, um, the question shouldn't be, does one have to become a Catholic to be saved? The question should be, do I have to become a Catholic to be saved? That was meaningful to me. I'm not speaking like about theologically or the, or the church's position or any of that. I'm, I'm just talking about, for me personally, to ha to make that decision despite my family's beliefs, my father being a Baptist pastor, all of that, you know, and so it wasn't that I was making, I, I, it gave me the confidence to not be that I, I was 
automatically making a judgment against him and his beliefs. I was, I was, I had to focus on for myself. And I think that could be applied in how you were just talking about it, Bonnie, this idea of when you're looking at homeschooling, you, you have to make the decision based on, on your own family, not does everyone have to do this? It can be, um, do we have to do this? Is, is this best for us is what the question becomes. Yeah, so true. And it takes some time to come to that level of peace, <laughs> acceptance, really, that there might be folks who just do not approve. Going back to we're never finished learning and growing. That's part of the deal for me, too. It's, it affects everyone in the family. And just looking straight at it that way kind of helps get through it, I think. Yeah, I was just going to add to that, um, that if you are thinking about it, but getting a lot of pushback from whomever, um, I think just setting those clear boundaries, maybe saying something like, I hear you, I appreciate your opinion, and that's the last that we're going to talk about it. And if I want to discuss it with you, like, I will bring it up to you but this is like our decision or my decision, whoever is making this decision. And this is what we're going to do. And going back to that too, um, that idea that this is, that's still a very Christian and Catholic thing to say, to set those boundaries. Because if you go back to the Bible, Jesus was always setting boundaries and it wasn't mean. It wasn't like he was trying to make somebody feel badly. For example, like when he needed to rest, he went away and he rested. And when he was done, he came back. So like that was a very clear boundary that he set. Like, I'm going away. Leave me alone for a few minutes or whatever time it was. And then when he came back, everything was fine. So I think we just have to get more used to that idea, too, where it's like, I hear your opinion. I appreciate your opinion and your feelings. But they don't change what I'm going to do because this is what we have discerned is best for our family in this moment. Yep. And again, that might change. But right now, this is what is best. Yeah. Hard hard to do sometimes. Again, it goes back to all about the whole person. Yeah. Yeah. The whole person. Or if homeschooling your your student is the best thing for you, then it's whatever, wherever God is calling you right now is the best, the best thing for you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Have you heard much from people about the fear of missing out if they take on (laughs) homeschooling, if they leave the school system? that they're going to be missing out on whatever it is, sports, prom, whatever, whatever it is, they're going to be missing out. Um, I don't, I haven't heard specifically about prom, but I've heard about other um, educational activities. So for example, like a student, um, this was working with another advisor, but a student recently needed to have, he was a homeschooled student and he needed to have some sort of letter showing that he was enrolled in an accredited school in order to um, compete in this national um, competition of some sort. But because he was homeschooled, that technically wasn't approved. So he was coming to Colby to try to get enrolled with Colby so that then he could continue to compete in these um, competitions. So that's how I've seen it, that kind of FOMO. But I know some areas have really good co-ops that do put together social activities for students and um, things like that. But I'm sure that that idea of FOMO is true for everybody, no matter if you are homeschooling or if you're in a traditional school. Yeah, it's so true. It's like we can't do it all. That's right. And there's more. So there's that side. We can't do it all. We are going to be missing out. We can't do all the things. We just can't. And then on the other side, though, there are more and more opportunities for homeschoolers all the time in many areas, offerings for all sorts of things that, you know, I mean, it seems more and more that the schools provide all sorts of services and activities and things. But outside of that school system, too, there are more opportunities, too. So that's that's on a positive trend as well. Yeah, I, I would add to that, too, that um, I've been I haven't heard it very often. You you would you would think you might hear that quite a bit. But um I hear a lot more of these amazing things that students are doing. Like I had a student who who was earning his pilot's license not that long, a couple of years ago. He's got, he's graduated now, but just th- things like that where 
students are are one girl is going to be in Austria all next year if if she can get there with COVID, but her family is going there for a year. Just the things that um, they're gaining. I I I feel like if you weighed if you weighed the two, it wouldn't even be close on um, even their feelings. Are we missing out on something? No, we're going to Austria. Or no, I'm becoming a pilot. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep. So true. What other questions have we not addressed yet, Bridget? This is a very simple one. Do you need to live near Colby Academy to enroll? So that one's pretty straightforward. Um, no. <laughs> so the office for Colby is in Napa, California. However, the majority of staff and teachers do not live in California or anywhere near Napa. And that's one of the really cool things about the online academy is that you're going to get teachers from all walks of life. It's also really cool because then you can get some of the best teachers because they're not forced to move to a certain area that they maybe don't want to move to. So you're going to be able to get some of the best teachers for the subjects for your students because of that. Um, if you happen to live in Napa, I'm sure that's great. They'll probably show, give you a tour of the office. But otherwise, no, we have students from pretty much all over the globe. I think that's pretty neat to hear about the families who live all over the place. And it helps us learn our time zones also. <laughs> we have to realize what time it is if we need to call Colby or, <laughs> or email a teacher or something. Yep. Two questions left. Record keeping for elementary years, is it necessary and what do you keep? If you enroll with Colby, you get a welcome packet and that walks you through everything that you need in order to submit um, a grade report or a report card. It's pretty straightforward, pretty basic report card. You have to take attendance, things like that. Those are basically just for the state or, um, so that we can issue a report card that you can then turn into your state. Uh, but elementary students, the samples that are required are pretty pretty minor. Um, it's only a few samples per subject. And even then, it's not necessarily looked at for like 100% accuracy, because again, that's not what the goal is. The goal is to just show that you are educating your student, whatever that means for that student. But yes, there is there are requirements for submitting grades if you are enrolled, but they're not anything that is that are too difficult. Um, Bonnie, I'm sure you can speak more to that as well. I was just thinking that it's pretty handy that Colby in that welcome packet, there are a whole lot of things in the welcome packet and it is not an actual packet anymore. It's a, <laughs> it's a link that we get when we enroll that takes us to several documents, several documents. So a program support guide and documentation that we may need depending on what the regulations are in our state. So Colby gives us this whole gamut of stuff and then we match that up with what we need for state requirements or just our own record keeping desires if there aren't as many state regulations in that area. So we get a lot from Colby in this packet. We make use of what we need to from that. It's on us though to to find out the, the laws in our state regarding homeschooling and the HSLDA that you referred to earlier, Bridget, that, that's a big help in that area as well. I think that ties in nicely to the question about how many hours a day homeschooling takes. Do you get that one a lot? <laughs> For young children, it takes very little time, actually. You know, as little as, what, 30 minutes to an hour for preschoolers and kindergartners for, like, schoolwork. And as they get older and have more schoolwork, it takes a little bit longer. Incrementally, you kind of build up to it and to the point where the middle schoolers it's somewhere around, what, um, four to five hours a day, depending on the student and the course load and the high schoolers it'll take on average, I think, you know, probably closer to six hours or more, depending on what they have going on there. So uh, in that same welcome packet, there is a, a chart that gives us sort of a guideline for how long the different subjects should take, how many days a week you should be doing them. Not, not should, but if you were to divvy up the work across the week, it would take an average of this amount of time and you're free to arrange it differently according to your needs. And, you know, you can block schedule or change things up depending on what else is happening in the family life. 
but that's sort of a basic guideline. Certainly it doesn't have to take. It's not like if the, if the work is done in 20 minutes and it's understood well, that there's comprehension there and mastery. We don't have to sit there for another 20 minutes on that subject just so that we fulfill that time. If the chart says it should take 40 minutes, we don't have to do that. So as Jordan was saying, just try it out and see how long it takes you to get through stuff. And if it seems taking an inordinately long time, maybe there's something to consider there by way of, do we need to make some modifications or is this the right is this the right thing for us or, or whatever in that particular area? Not necessarily the whole thing, but it does take some time to sort out how long it's going to take you. And it varies by family. I'm turning into Chatty Kathy on that one. I'm just going for days on how long it can take. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, there's one more question. If you are thinking of homeschooling, why should you choose Colby Academy? All kinds of reasons. The longer I'm with Colby, the more I like it, the more grateful I am to be a part of the Colby family. Uh, from the beginning, my initial calls to Colby just to get information when I was uh, discerning whether or not we were going to make the leap to homeschooling, and I had a lot of hesitation, resignation, and well, I hadn't reached resignation yet. <laughs> it was a um, fear and um, hesitancy, I guess those were more the words I would use. My initial interactions with them in the office, every everyone I dealt with was very respectful, friendly, helpful. There was no sense of rush on the phone answering my questions. I'm sure they'd answered the same questions however many times. I'm sure they'd heard them in however many iterations, but they it's like they were answering them for the first time with me and were perfectly willing to visit with me however long I, I needed to, to to get my questions answered and and then invited me to call back with more when I had them and I did. So those interactions, the way I have been treated and, and my children have been treated, um, those say so much about why choose Colby. Um, the structure, as I've referred to before, the curriculum is challenging and rich and, and it all works together. It's all integrated together across the subjects. So it's less like um, compartmentalized. It's all integrated like life is. So all of those reasons, they just kind of build one upon the other. Yeah, I would agree. And it's when I go to conferences and there's all the different homeschooling programs there. And um, one, I mean, I tell people sometimes it's it's almost like we're arguing about which vitamins are the best. You know, there's there's good things in other programs <laughs> as well. I think Colby, though, has everything um, under one tent, sort of. And 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 uh, we're growing, and I think it's always exciting to be a, a part of something that's that's really growing. Um, if if anyone's listening and interested, you should listen to uh, some of the episodes talking about our founding and and different things like that. That you know, and look look at um, some of our videos on YouTube, and I think you would see that Colby's a really it's it's a very special place in, in that I think that God has blessed it a lot. We wouldn't be here if if he hadn't. Um, and maybe he's calling you to be a part of the Colby family also. Um, it's it's not that we have that we're against the other programs or anything like that. We're trying to offer um, something that's helpful to meet any family, any student where they are at. And we have a lot of people dedicated to to doing that. In all the best ways. Colby on the academic side. We came from a parochial school, very strong in the academic areas and faith formation as well. And in all the best ways, Colby parallels the parochial school we came from and has exceeded, you know, go, has taken that to the next level and the next level. The academics continue to impress and, and um, meet the, our students' needs and where they are and, and to take them where they need to go. So lots of, lots of good reasons. As you can tell, I'm a big fan. Well, this has been great visiting with you both, hearing your perspectives as, as teachers and advisors and parents. That's been great. And we certainly appreciate everyone who submitted questions in response to the prompts on social media. Please feel free to send more of those to reach out via social media or starting a live chat on the Colby homepage. There are a lot of ways to reach out and interact with Colby. We hope our listeners will do that. And you can certainly write to us here at the podcast. Our email address is podcast at colby.org. And we hope to hear from folks with their questions and concerns and, and things that they are finding in their homeschool lives, what would be helpful. So thank you both, Bridget and Jordan. Really appreciate it. Thank you for visiting with you as well.
yeah, thank you so much. It was wonderful speaking with you guys. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.